feel God's presence and to engage with Him. That's what this is really all about. And uh, thank the Lord for that. And the, I was rejoicing with you in the vision of your pastor and the new building. And, and uh, well, wouldn't it be great if y'all just did it debt-free? That'd be all right. possible it is possible and uh, I'm convinced that we're going to enter into a time of number one unprecedented giving and number two unprecedented blessing if we really believe what we say and we know this thing's kind of wrapping up then I think God has the provision for the church and his kingdom and uh, to fulfill his purpose. Everything's about his purpose. Amen. And uh, I do know that in the book of Ezra, it says that they hired counselors that they might frustrate the purpose of God. And basically what had happened was is they had been released, Nehemiah and them to go back and rebuild the city. And, of course, people there got a little irritated with it hired high-ranking court officials to hide the king's decree that said we're going to finance the whole thing. And so now another king's on the throne, and the enemy of God's people wrote and said these Jews are at it again. So he wrote and told them, stop. They wrote back and said we're only doing what your grandpa told us we couldn't do. By royal decree. And so he asked where this decree is. They searched and found it in the summer palace. Hid in the summer palace. And then the king got upset because it hadn't been honored. And so this is what he said in a decree. He said, whoever I find not honoring the first decree, I'm going to tear your house down, make it a dung heap, and hang you on the timbers of it. Because you have frustrated the decree and you frustrated the purpose of God. And the only thing that I'm asking from these Jews is just pray for the king and his sons. And they finished it. They finished it. Now, they were waiting on all the money to come in. I wasn't planning on saying this, but here it is. They were waiting on it and they kept saying, it's not time, it's not time, it's not time. We don't have the finances. We don't have this. We don't have that. And Haggai said, it is time. You go cut some timber and just show God you're interested in finishing this. And when you do your part, he'll shake the heavens and the earth because all the gold and the silver is the Lord's. So I think a lot of time all God's waiting on is his people just to cut timber and do what they can do. And once we do that, then it just opens the windows of heaven. And uh, God says, I'll shake the heavens and the earth. Amen. I'd kind of like to live in that area, wouldn't you? Amen. God bless you. Man, y'all are quiet already. Amen. I guess you're ready for me to go to work, aren't you? All right, here's the deal. I went a while last night. I know I did. I did it on purpose. 
and because uh, I had to get as much in the foundation of this for us to get to where we needed to go today. So, but uh, I'm not promising, but I think that we will be a little less lengthy this morning because I know that we've got to beat all the other churches to the steakhouse. I've been at this long enough to know how we think, amen. we got to get out of here. So let's, let's see what God will do in this place. What do you say? Amen. I want to read from Revelation chapter 22. And uh, I'll read verses 1 through 4. It is an honor to be here. I sincerely mean that. And uh, I've got a little more, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? i got a little more um, finicky about where I go, especially the older I get, and I, I uh, have kind of moved away from doing a lot of local congregations to more other type meetings and stuff and all, but I do know that there is occasion that the Lord definitely deals with me that it, uh, you need to go. It's a, it's a good investment for you to go, and if you're going to plant some kind of seed and invest, you want to do it where it's good soil. And so I believe that this is that, and I honor your pastor and his family here today. They're wonderful people. I've enjoyed our fellowship. Amen. And we laughed last night. I don't like being around Pentecostals that don't know how to laugh. I think you're not spiritual because you don't laugh. Well, some of you are like, you take yourself way too serious. You know, <laughs> you gotta last for some, like medicine. Some of you are sick. You need to take a little medicine here today. Amen. And uh, y'all learn how to smile. You ever thought about if somebody come to church sitting next to you didn't have the Holy Ghost and they watched you to determine whether or not it was everything the preacher said it was? I want to make sure that I, I uh, advertise it correctly. Amen. And God gives us great joy. Okay, let's go to work here. Revelation chapter 22 and uh, verse number 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the thr- street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads I like that fourth verse especially they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads Moses asked God won't you show me your face and God said I can't do that I can't do that Uh, it doesn't exist yet (laughs) can't do it I can't show you something that's not yet And when God said, I'll show you my hinder parts, that didn't mean God turned his backside toward Moses. That meant he showed him from Genesis creation to present tense where Moses was at. That's why Moses wrote the first five books. But he said, I can't show you the future. I can't show you what my face is because Christ doesn't exist yet. 
he'll be born of a woman, he'll be begotten. And that's why Paul says that if we ever see him, we'll see the glory, we'll see him in the face of Jesus Christ. So I thank God today that we've been allowed to see it. Now God did honor Moses' request when he took him to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moses was allowed to see Jesus Christ basically in a state of glorification. Praise God. God's good, isn't he? He may not be able to show it to you now, but trust me, when it's time, he'll reveal it to you and he'll show it to you. And I thank the Lord for that. Amen. Everybody said amen. amen. Okay, I gave you a title last night, Our God Reigns. I guess we could stay with the same title. Would that be all right or, or does that mess with you too much? And No, we need a new title. How many think we need a new title? Okay, we got one over here. I want to see who you are because I'm going to pick on you right in the middle of church here today. Amen. <laughs> Who's that? Oh, God have mercy. That explains everything. That, that, that explains everything. Well, I'm going to preach about deliverance today, and I expect you to be the first one in line. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Okay, uh, our God reigns, or we could talk about what proceeds from the throne. What proceeds from the throne. I love Brother and Sister Shock. Always good to be in the service with them, and they are just some of my favorite people. Amen. This church is blessed to have them in location here. Amen. Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the leadership of this church. I thank you for the witness of your spirit. The evident blessing that's on this congregation. I thank you for that. I pray today that I'll be the gift that you want me to be to this body. And I'll say what you want me to say. Nothing more, nothing less. I pray that you'll give me the wisdom to say it. I ask you, God, for your favor and the favor of this people. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. And I take authority in this service in Jesus' name. You confirm your word. It's your word. Confirm it with signs following. I ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Turn around and shake somebody's hand next to you while you're being seated. And say, Let it flow. <laughs> I spent a great deal of time last night trying to establish uh, God's kingdom, a little understanding of God's kingdom. And then, of course, we talked about the throne of God and how that we are to be guardians of that throne. I tried to establish that the throne of God is symbolic to the will of God. The throne is where the decree of the king comes from. And the wise man said, where the word of a king is, there's power. In other words, you can't second guess it. It stands on its own. We live in a republic and we say that we have a democracy. So North American people have a hard time understanding kingdoms and kings. We live in America and everybody's got a voice. And I'm glad for that. But if you're in a kingdom, you don't get to tell the king 
what you think or tell him that he's not doing his job right. That's a good way to lose your head. And so we have a hard time sometimes understanding that, that this is important for us to realize. And that's why it's important for you to be a guardian of God's throne in your life or the will of God in your life. It's important. Uh, this morning, <clears throat> I was kind of studying a little bit and trying to make sure I was on the right track. Uh, it dawned on me. It dawned on me. I was preaching a revival for a friend of mine. This is a few years ago. And uh, at the close of a service, uh, we, we uh, I don't know if you'll understand what I'm about to say, but some churches need a breakthrough. And uh, it seemed like a lot of my evangelizing was going to churches that needed a break through. And so sometimes God would give me a stick of dynamite, and I'd just throw it out there and watch everything blow up. <laughs> and uh, But it was in one of those revivals that at the close of the service, uh, <clears throat> everything, I was walking across the platform, and everything in the building went totally dark. And right in the center of the congregation, God showed me a throne. And there was this hideous looking something on the throne. And it just like all kinds of creepy, crawly stuff. And it just, just an ugly scene. And the Lord spoke to me and said, as of tonight, I will begin to destroy the throne of iniquity that's in this church. And I will raise up a throne of righteousness. Well, I don't know about you, but anytime I feel like God speaks something to me, I want to confirm it in his word. And so I went to the scripture and I found in the book of Psalms 94 and 20, it talks about a throne of iniquity. And of course, the scripture is very strong about a throne of righteousness. The fact is, is one of those thrones is going to rule in your life. One of those thrones is going to rule in this congregation. And so it's important for us to make the right decision and to choose the right thing. Moses comes down off the mountain. He reads some of the law to the people of God. And three times the people said, we will hearken and we will obey. At the third affirmation, Moses and the 70 elders are allowed now to see into the heavens and they see the throne of God. But it was not until the people affirmed that they wanted the law of God to rule in their life that the heavens were open. The leadership of this church cannot see what it needs to see if the people in the congregation do not decide to hearken and to obey. You have the power to establish. Now, I don't want to get off where I shouldn't, but I don't think your pastor has the power to establish that. I don't think the leadership in the church has the power to establish that. That is the power of the congregation. When your pastor preaches to you the word of God, and you say, I will not only hear it, but I will obey it. You are establishing a throne of righteousness in this church 
where God says, I rule and I reign in this congregation. Iniquity is a unique thing. Somebody said iniquity is lawlessness, and it is. But it's not just lawlessness. It's you want to do away with the law, and you want to establish what the new law will be. See, we've all got to come to the conclusion that I am not supposed to be king of my life. Uh, the gospel is preached. I want you to hear me. The gospel is preached. And then press into it, the kingdom they press into. You, you live your life kind of as king of your own kingdom. And then all of a sudden, the gospel is preached to you. I call this the clash of kingdoms. Uh, when the gospel is preached, matter of fact, the New Testament says they didn't just preach the gospel. They preached the gospel and the kingdom. In other words, for you to get into God's kingdom... Here's the way that you get into it. And of course, we understand what that is. It's very clear. Jesus told you how to get into the kingdom. Nicodemus, except a man is born again of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Can I talk about that here just a second? Would it be all right? Uh, Jesus starts and he said, if you're born of the spirit, you can see the kingdom. Well, there's a difference in seeing the kingdom and in being in the kingdom. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, I personally believe that they fell and were now blinded. Uh, they could not see the things that they had seen before. They were disconnected from the source. They're now spiritually dead. Uh, Jesus, God said, the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, you're going to die. We know that Adam did not die in a physical sense. He lived for hundreds of years. But he did die that day spiritually. The scripture tells us that without the spirit, we quote this to Pentecostals, but what Paul was saying is, is that without the spirit, you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't even think it, because you've got to get reconnected back to the spirit, and the spirit within you has to be resurrected, because Paul went on to say it's the deep things of God, and the only way, he said, now you you understand natural things, but to understand spiritual things, you have to have the work of the spirit in your life. So when Jesus talks about uh, the parable of the good Samaritan, a man fell among thieves, anytime Jesus would say a certain man, trust me, he's not just at random. Something very specific. Somebody's in mind. Personally, I believe in that parable. He was in reference to Adam. There was a man that fell among thieves, stripped of his raiment, robbed of his possessions, and left half dead. Why did Jesus specifically say he was left half dead? You don't take people to the hospital and tell them, I think they're 30% dead. Maybe 70% dead. But Jesus specifically said he was left half dead. I think that he's in reference to Adam. When Adam fell, he lost his covering. He lost his raiment. He lost his possession, his dominion, and he was left half dead. In other words, he's now alive to the things of the flesh, but he's dead to the things of the spirit. He's half dead. That's why the Holy Ghost is referred to in the scripture as a quickening spirit. It means to make alive. And Jesus said, except a man is born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom. But once the Spirit is birthed in you, and it resurrects that Spirit within you, you can now see the kingdom. I'm used to a little more help right now. Amen. You can see the kingdom. 
Thank God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Woo. I said, thank God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That ought to put you on shouting ground. You can't expect people that don't have the spirit to understand spiritual things. <laughs> but you know, I, I learned something a long time ago. Now, the Bible, I, I need to move faster. Except the man's born again. Now, where's that confirmed? Well, Paul says to the church at Corinth, he said, I don't want you ignorant concerning your fathers, where they now are baptized in the cloud, baptized in the sea unto Moses. So when Moses talks about, when Paul talks about with Moses baptized in the cloud and the sea, He's talking about spirit baptism, and he's talking about water baptism. It is a confirmation of what Jesus told Nicodemus. Some people say, well, birth of the water, that's natural. Jesus said, I ain't talking about natural things. I don't know why that's so complicated to understand. I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about spiritual things here. And so the deal is, if you study them coming out of Egypt, they come to the Red Sea. And they're at a place called Sakoth. And uh, now they've not yet gone through the Red Sea, so you could say they're still in Egypt, right? And so it's there that the cloud starts its work. If the cloud is a type of the Spirit, then that's where the Spirit began its work. When it overshadowed them there and it got between them and the Egyptians, it's like birth of the Spirit. Mm. Jesus said, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will lead and guide into all truth. So now the cloud is going to guide them, and the cloud is going to lead them. So you could stay true to typology in the Scripture and say, these people were Spirit-filled, but still in Egypt. Mm. Boy, y'all are looking at me really funny right now. Seriously, they're spirit-filled, but they're still in Egypt. Uh, <clears throat> I believe that tongues is uh, a receipt. Is it okay if I just do a little doctrinal stuff here a second? Uh, <clears throat> tongues is the receipt. It's the proof of purchase. John says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, which he hath testified of his son. There's only two witnesses of the Spirit, of the Sonship of Jesus Christ. The first witness of the Spirit was in the waters of baptism, where the Bible says that the heavens open, the Holy Ghost come descending, like what? Like a dove. Well, why a dove? What's so important about the dove? Why does the Scripture specifically say, like a dove? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> because Jesus is in the water. And uh, the, whole, the heavens open. The Holy Ghost comes sending like unto a dove. And then the voice of the Father speaks, saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. If you'll remember when Noah gets in the ark, he gets in the ark in an old world. And the water transforms him over moves him over into what is called the new world. Does, does that make sense to everybody? He gets in the ark over here in the old world, and when he comes out on the other side, he's in the new world. 
But what was the proof that the new world existed? He let a raven go and it didn't return, but he lets a dove go and the dove returns back to him with an olive branch in his mouth signifying there is a new world. So when the Holy Ghost come descending like a dove on Jesus Christ, it was signifying to everybody there, water has translated you and transformed you from this side to the other side, and here is the proof. Mm. The Holy Ghost is the proof that you're in a new world. I want to say it again. The Holy Ghost is the proof that you are in a new world. You're in the water. And the Holy Ghost is doing its work. You're in the new world. That's how come when you receive the Spirit and you're born again, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Praise God. But hang on, that's not all there is in that story. And I'm way off subject here right now. That's not all there is in that story. The Bible says... Not only did the heavens open us, spirit descended like a dove, but now we've got the voice of the Father, which is the Spirit. We've got it saying, this is the proof of it. This is what he's saying. Boy, I feel like just digging in right here. Uh, the prophet Isaiah said, he would have no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. I need to move the mic up closer, don't I? Yeah. All right. I'm the only preacher in Pentecost that you will say, you need to put the mic up a little closer. Amen. (laughs) Now I forgot what I was going to (laughs) say. Isaiah, thank you. He had no formula companies that we should desire him. What he's saying is, is when John says that the word was made flesh, it translates in the word tabernacled itself in flesh. So when you looked at the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, there was nothing physically appealing about it. It was kind of rough looking. Badger skin. I've read, studied. It was kind of red by color. There's nothing physically appealing about him. But it wasn't what was on the outside of the tabernacle. It was what was on the inside of the tabernacle watch it and so god says for you to know that that ugly tent over there happens to be where i live i'm going to give you a witness of the spirit every day there'll be a cloud above it and every night there'll be a pillar of fire i am going to bear witness that that happens to be my tabernacle Mm. that happens to be my tabernacle that's why the scripture says that, you know, when you sing Christ, there's nothing physically appealing about him that you would say, this is the son of God. This is the tabernacle of God among men. But when the spirit bore witness that day, it was telling everybody on the banks of Jordan, I know he don't look like much to you. And I know he looks like every other Judean being baptized. But trust me, what's on the inside of that man right there? Yeah. For in him, for in him. For in him, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
And that's why John said, if we receive the witness of men, which I was a witness, it's a great witness. But a greater witness is the witness of the Spirit. And that day in the banks of Jordan and in the waters of Jordan, when the Holy Ghost bore witness, he was letting the whole world know, this is him. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. This is the sacrifice. This is the tabernacle of God. Thank God for the witness of the Spirit. He got, watch him, watch him, watch him. He got, and I believe he was fully God, fully man. But when he goes into the waters, he's showing you typology. He's in the water. The Holy Ghost comes descending. And now you have a spiritual utterance. I don't care how you slice it. You got a spiritual utterance. If the spirit utters something, it is a spiritual utterance. It is the spiritual utterance telling everybody, he lives there now. That's where I live. And the day that you went to talking in tongues, it wasn't the Holy Ghost. It was the witness of the spirit telling everybody around you, I live there now. This is the proof of purchase. I know they don't look like much to you, but trust me, I just put my spirit in them and they have become a tabernacle. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. People get all hung up on talking in tongues. I just don't think it's necessary. Well, we didn't ask you. This is not a democracy. The king said, except the man. He didn't call and take a poll through the land. What's the tide? Where's everything going? What's public opinion? The king from his throne said, except the man is born again of the water and of the spirit. Why do you think the apostle Paul said, I am set for the defense of the gospel. There's only one Lord. There's only one faith. And there's only one baptism. There's only one God, which is above all, through all, and in you all. And I am set to defend that because I am a protector and a guardian over the will and the throne of God. You got to learn how to protect that in your life. My God, I feel like preaching right now. I said, you got to learn how to protect that. There'll be people creeping to your life. I don't think all that's necessary. You don't have to do that. You don't have to talk in tongues. You don't have to be born again. I don't think you have to be baptized. Well, I got news for you. You're not the king of the kingdom. You may be a serpent trying to seduce me and make me to believe something else, but I'm going to protect the word of God and I'm going to protect the will of God in my life. And if Jesus said, except a man is born again of the water and the spirit, he is the highest authority on the subject. I was preaching some uh, crusades in uh, Maryland a few years ago. And uh, on a Sunday, uh, the head Navy chaplain was in service. And he came over and he said, I want to talk to you. I said, okay. He said, I believe in tongues as the essentiality of the Holy Ghost. I was like, oh. He said, I've heard all of your arguments and all of your defense of it. But he said, I think you people are missing something. I don't know what it is, but I just think you're missing something. <laughs> I said, okay. He said, I'll be back next Sunday. And I'd like to hear more about what you think about this. So that week I spent time in prayer, seeking God. I said, God, please help me. 
I, I, I know all the stuff we use, you know, the sound of life, baby crying and stammering lip and another tongue and all. But God took me back to John 3 and 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest what? Sound. Now I've had people say, well, that, that, well, they heard the sound of the wind in Pentecost. That's what that means. No. Two completely different words for sound. In John 3 and 8, you know what the word sound means? It's spelled P-H-O hyphen N-A-Y. Phone-A. Phone-A. Let me help you a little bit. Have you ever heard of telephone? Phone is the Greek word phone. Phone is the root for phonics. <laughs> it means study. I mean, you, well, don't do it right now. But get on your strong concordance and look the word up. Phone. Telephone means the ability to take your phonics, your language, your speech, and to move it from this point to another point. So Jesus just said, you can't see it when it happens. But listen for the phonics. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Not this one and not you. Oh, it's just a prayer language so you can speak it. No, 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 no. Jesus said, and so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Meaning, you can't see the wind, but listen for the phonics. Listen for its language. Somebody say, what's this church all about? I'll tell you what this church is all about. We're trying to get all of you hooked on phonics. I want to say it again. We're trying to get you hooked on phonics. Not what you're saying, but what the Spirit's saying through you. Buddy, when you went to talking in tongues, that was God saying, this is that heavenly language and this is the proof. And so is everyone born of the Spirit. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right, all right, right. now. That's born of the Spirit. The devil, though, doesn't care if you talk in tongues until you get an accent. Boy, you're up here for more punishment, aren't you? (laughs) He doesn't care. As long as he can keep you from going through the Red Sea. But the moment the Bible study starts turning you toward the water, get ready. Pharaoh is up to something. And Pharaoh doesn't want you to get to the water. Because he knows it's in the water that he's destroyed. So he'll let you talk in tongues and talk in tongues 
Glossolalia. Man, I got glossolalia. Everybody's spirit-filled now. Well, that's great. I just preached half a sermon on you need to be spirit-filled. But that's only part of it. Now you've got to go. I'm on tonight's message now. Now you've got to go to the water. And when you come out on the other side, you've left Egypt. Pharaoh's been destroyed. And now you truly are a new creature. And now begins your spiritual journey. I have to cut back some time work on this just a little bit. That cloud led them all the way through and took them through the wilderness of sin and took them to the mount of the law. And that cloud never moved for 18 months at least. Camped them at the base of the mountain. Why? Because God said, I got a promised land for you. But I don't want you going over there until you get some things established. Because when you get to your promised land, I don't want you to fall to their culture. I'm going to teach you my culture here on the top of this mountain. We got a lot of people that miss the mountain. I'll come back and deal with that later sometime. Amen. Now, that's how you get into the kingdom. Boy, I spent a lot of time on that one. That's how you get into the kingdom. Now, once you're there and the throne of God, when you say that you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's more than just some verbal confession and some mental assent. As some preacher told you, just confess that Jesus is Lord and thou shalt be saved. I don't want to get into that. That's another whole deal. You'll never understand Romans chapter 10 until you look at it from the lens of Isaiah chapter 52. Because Paul goes back to Isaiah 52 in Romans chapter 10, which people call the Roman road. This is how you're saved. Paul wasn't talking to people that needed to be saved. He was talking to people that had already been saved. But he goes in there and talks about how glorious are the feet of those that bring good tidings. And I, I got into that last night. I'll come back and do that one again sometime too. Amen. Maybe. I don't know. You may never have me back. I don't know. And uh, so now that you're in this kingdom and that you've confessed that he's Lord, meaning that you have removed yourself and your will and you have now put the will of God in your life. That's why the gospel and the kingdom is preached. You now are going to live by the royal law of the kingdom. And you're going to live by the law of the kingdom. Because this is the word of the king. Everybody good? That's what you've got to learn how to protect. Why is it so important to protect that? Well, because the enemy knows what precedes from the throne and if he can get us from the throne he stops something he stops something now everybody good let's look at it just briefly here revelation 22 1 proceeding from the throne is a pure river of water of life which is symbolic to the spirit It's a street of pure gold, which if you study that, it's the highway of holiness. Pure gold like unto glass. Verse 2, this river flows, and basically the way I see it, my study is, is that street was almost like the channel that that river flowed down. So the spirit is always going to flow 
where there's purity. Mm. Tree of life on each side, 12 manners of fruit. There's leaves for the healing of the nations. One translation says for the curing of disease. Verse 3, there's no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb. Servants, the priests, shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Now, I want you to understand something. I looked at this a few weeks ago when God gave this to me. And I began to realize something that we're talking about the throne of God now. Uh, One of the things that we need to recognize is how many thrones are there. Let's count them. How many thrones do you see in that verse? How many would agree? Do you want me to read it again? One. I'm waiting on some more of you. I need a witness from the congregation here today. Hold your finger up on how many thrones you see in Revelation. Now, if you were to believe the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity says that there's three persons. And those three persons are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent. Why does the Son get a throne if they're co-equal? But there's no throne for the Father, and there's no throne for the Holy Ghost. This is real simple. There's only one throne, and the one sitting on that throne is God Almighty and the Lamb. Meaning he is showing you Jesus Christ in his glorified state. He now is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. When you get to God's throne, you get a revelation of who he is. Hey, there's only one throne. And there's only one sitting on that throne. And matter of fact, his name is written in their foreheads. And the chapter before that talks about 144,000 sealed with the, with, with the name of the Father on their foreheads. And Jesus said, I come in my Father's name. Ooh. Folks, it's real simple as far as I can see. It's real simple. So now you've got this revelation. Now you see the face of God. It's all about revelation. There's three things that happen in Revelation 22. It shows you purity and holiness. It shows you who Jesus Christ really is, the revelation, and it shows you what his name is. Those are the three revelations of the throne of God that you need to see. Three revelations. Mm. Now, when congregations decide to let, is this too much? Congregations, when they decide to let the law of God rule over them, they want a throne of righteousness. These are congregations. You know, I've taught Bible studies to people. Let me give you an example. I remember a few years ago, I was teaching a Bible study. We had a family start to come to church, and uh, he was an attorney, and she was secretary, and, and they were uh, neo-Pentecostal. And so they was Bible study. He was Presbyterian. His wife was raised in a Trinity Pentecostal background. And uh, so we got in the Bible study, and uh, that night, her mom and dad showed up. They were visiting, so we all sitting in there. And I got into the Bible study. And it was that night, that moment that I read some things. And boy, the light come on. Boom. And the attorney said, oh my God. I see it. I see it. And, and so he, he starts talking to his wife. He says, look at this. I, I'm done now. They took over. He said, look at this. So he starts explaining it. And she said, oh my Lord. 
all these years I've been confused about this. That's so simple. I see it. And her dad said, oh, my God, he's right. That verse proves this. (laughs) Now, Mama, Mama was not happy. She wasn't happy. And her husband said, do you see this? And this is what she said. I don't care what it says. I'm not going to do it. And right there, she decided to establish a throne of iniquity in her heart. Does this make sense, Pastor? She decided. I'm going to tell you something. When you get to God's throne... It's this glorious revelation. So, this is what I've seen the other day. If anybody ought to have the river that flows, it's people that are at the throne that knows who he is and knows what his name is and are on the highway of holiness. Mm. Those are the people. I'm going to start wrapping up here. Those are the people. He said, from there proceeded this river. It's a river of life. When you study in the scripture, it's very clear. The river, the water, is symbolic to the spirit. Jesus stood on that great day of the feast and said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And I'll give you water that will satisfy. And then he goes on to say, and out of your belly. Help me out here a little bit. And out of your belly. Out of your innermost being, out of that throne in your heart, will flow rivers of living water. And this spake he of the Spirit. I feel revelation in this place right now. This spake he of the Spirit. He tells the woman at the well, you drink this water, you'll thirst again. You drink of the water that I'll give you. He said, it'll be in you a well of living water springing up into life. Life. The spirit is referred to as water. It's like a river. Paul went on to say, that rock that followed them was Christ. And out of that rock, out of that revelation of Christ, proceeded living water. Woo, hallelujah. Mm. Now, now, now. Make sure I covered everything I need to cover. Revelation of his name. One God. River flowing. All right. I checked my notes. Out of your belly. Out of your belly. See, here's what I see God trying to do in the end time. Is he wants to move us away from great ones. Yeah, he does. Waiting on a great one to come to our church. And produce this flow. Let me tell you how to know the difference between the true and the false. Study Acts chapter 8. The false always presents a great one. 
Simon the sorcerer bewitched the whole city. He was the great power of God. He was a great one. But when the real got there, it just produced great joy among the city. Anytime it always presents a great one, trust me, it's dangerous. Watch it. And so we have great ones among us. And if you can get a great one to come, then they'll pray the prayer of faith. And they'll lay hands on the sick. And they'll prophesy. And they'll do all that. But it didn't say out of the belly of the great one shall flow rivers. It said if you're spirit filled and you got me on the throne of your heart, it ought to flow out of you. I'm going to mess with you now. I'm going to mess with you. Really mess with you. That church I was telling you about that had uh, throne of iniquity. And uh, <clears throat> I learned something there that I started practicing as an evangelist. See, I, I realized that in a revival or in a church, there should be a flow. It ought to flow. It ought to flow all through the congregation. So I learned in that revival to watch for places that it wasn't flowing. Those are trouble areas. Why is it not flowing there? Now, if you don't think that this is important, man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. <clears throat> Psalms 133, I've been dwell together. It's like the dew that descended on the top of Mount Hermon. Now, you understand that <clears throat> he talks about the unity. Unity. And he compares unity to the dew that descends on the top of Mount Hermon. Which means that anointing and unity starts and flows. Flows down. It's like the ointment that was on Aaron's beard to his skirts. And so it starts on the top of the mountain. <clears throat> it's just dew. Maybe even a little snow. And then it starts its trek downward. It may just be a little flow over here. But then that flow joins with another flow. And then it starts kind of creating what I would call tributaries. And then those tributaries just trickle on down. I've been on top of mountains and watched what I'm talking about. And it <clears throat> connects with another one. And then it connects with another one. Now, when it's its own individual tributary, a little stone or a little twig or something can fall in front of it and block it. But when you join more than one together... It takes greater opposition to stop the flow. And this is exactly why the devil hates unity. Why he will do everything he possibly can in a church to destroy unity. Because he knows that every one of you should be this flow. And if you start coming together, you start creating a greater force and a greater flow. And when that happens... When that happens, he's got problems. Because he may throw a little something in front of this good man and stop it. But when him and him and him join together with him, and all of a sudden these things start coming together, the next thing you know, what's been blocking and hindering him is washed away by the flow that unity creates. Sit down just a second. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pause here just a second. Isn't it amazing? Unity, power of unity. 
You know, we apostolics and holiness people, uh, we have pretty strong opinions about uh, perversion. We really do. Perversion. It's an abomination. And, uh, you know, and the scripture says it is. And trust me, pastor, where I pastor, we have to understand these things and how to deal with it. I've had people come to our church and say, well, it says it's an abomination, but eating shellfish is an abomination. And so I finally told one one time, I said, that's true. But eating shellfish is an abomination to you. Read it. It's in there. It's to you. But, but this other is unto God. And so there are differences in what is an abomination to you physically and what is an abomination to God. And that is an abomination. But isn't it amazing that the same God that said that's an abomination, he says he that soweth discord among the brethren is an abomination. Oh, yeah. I've known Pentecostals, bless God, let's preach the homosexual right into hell. It's an abomination. And they're sitting right there under the same spirit, creating an abomination. Because homosexuality is sowing discord in nature. But sowing discord in the brotherhood is under the same banner. One's nature and one's brotherhood. You better be careful when you start sowing discord and you decide I don't need to be connected and I'm going to do everything that I can to sow discord. Because as long as the people of God stay in one accord, it creates that flow. And the enemy says the best thing I can do is get this brother upset about something and get him running his mouth off and creating discord in the church and disunity and separating other people. Because once you get cut off from the body, there's no flow of the blood. But, but, it starts up there. It's just a little do. Don't, don't talk to some of you here. You may, I, oh, Brother Morgan, I, I don't, I'm not that much and all that stuff and all. I, I, I'm just a little do. Maybe let's call it Mountain Dew. It's dew on the top of the mountain. I'm just, I'm just Mountain Dew. I'm pretty insignificant. I don't hold any positions. I just come to church to try to be faithful. But see, that's all God wants. But when you connect. Something starts happening. So it starts on the top of the mountain as Mountain Dew. And when you get to the bottom of the mountain, he said, for there is a life and a commanded blessing. Because at the bottom of that mountain is the mouth of the Jordan River. So it starts at the top as just a little Mountain Dew. But as it transcends down the mountain and it starts feeding together, when you get to the bottom of it, it's a river that brings life into the entire Palestinian valley. And the devil knows that. He knows that. He knows that. Is this making sense? So he's going to do everything he can. You two married? 
Okay, just check. I did this one time. I said, your wife. The guy said, oh, she ain't my wife. <laughs> so I'm real careful anymore. Amen. So the devil will do everything he can to bring disunity, even here. Because he knows if you get a husband and wife working in tandem like they ought to be working, it creates a flow, and it flows down from you down to the kiddos. I'm wrapping up now. So here's what I learned. I'm in this revival. I'm starting to get hungry, to be honest with you. So I'm going to quit here in a little bit. And y'all can cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. I'm going to go eat. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, don't, I wouldn't like this church. I would never come to this church. Y'all fast way too much for me. I tell you. My God have mercy. Some people fast and pray. I believe more like feast and play. That's kind of my deal right there. You know. So in this revival, I learned to watch this flow. In this revival, there was a pocket. And it would flow all the way to that pocket. And then it, it just it hit it down. And uh, I kept thinking. Now, when I told you all a while ago, I'd take a stick of dynamite and just kind of throw it out there. This is an example. There was a guy in that church pastor that was just radical in his worship. I mean, he was just he was a man of prayer. Good man. I mean, you'd be preaching. He'd be up running behind you. Just, yeah, you know. I mean, he wouldn't stop. From the time he walked into the doors, he'd just worship and worship and worship. So that service, he was worshiping like that. And uh, where's my buddy? Come here, Cajun. Uh, I'm not saying that this is true about this church. I'm just, this is kind of the deal. So I went and got this guy by the hand. And I said, come with me. We got a little problem with the flow back here. And it would have been about right in here. And I said, okay, from now on, this is working out really good. I said, that's your seat. Okay, now, no, 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 no. no. (laughs) And I said, now, I want you to do right there what you do up there. I, I, I get a little crude with people sometimes. I said, because we need something to break right here. And I said, so until I tell you anything different from now on in this revival, that's your seat. Because I knew he wasn't going to sit in that seat. He's going to end up standing in that seat going crazy. And when I said that, oh, you should have seen the looks I got. Well, are you a worshiper or not? If you're a worshiper, why does somebody worship and bug you? Now, if you're not a worshiper, it kind of makes you look a little bad. And I mean, buddy, he was he was back there going crazy. And I mean, they're sitting there like. And I mean, that went on for a little while. And then finally, guess what? The dynamite went off. And they started getting a little break back there. And when they got the break back up there, guess what? It broke up in the altar. And that church had not had anybody have the Holy Ghost in a long time. And it started breaking out. Because what had happened is it started creating a flow. 
Now, this is this. You got any areas you want me to work on here today? <laughs> now, just, just, just stay with me. Give me, give me five more minutes, and I'm done. Don't get your hopes up. Eden? Well, what, what are you doing? You get back there. My God, I've been preaching on obedience. You come back up. Just, just remember these couple things here. I've been looking at Eden, the temple, and the throne. And I'm not sure they're not synonymous for each other. In Eden, where God would rule, the temple, the mercy seat, was also called the throne of God. I'll get into some of this stuff tonight. Cherubims, angels, what's really at the throne. So the deal is, so I, I've been looking at this and I started realizing they're pretty closely connected. The temple was also referred to as the throne of God. It's also where he said, my name will dwell. It is the temple to the one true God and this is where my name will dwell. And so now Revelation 22, his name is in their foreheads, the revelation of oneness. So I started looking at all this. And then I realized that all three had another connecting thing. It was in Eden, there was a river that flowed. Ezekiel sees the temple. And he watches coming from under the door of the temple. He watches this river that starts to flow. And it's all connected. So the flow that got to the city started in God's house and the flow that needs to get deeper that gets to this city and this part of Indiana and this whole region starts right here that's why your unity is important because for them to get into waters that they can swim in and for them to get a drink of living water it's got to flow First of all, through the service, and then out of the service into the streets of Terre Haute. And going down the streets of Terre Haute is a river of life. In other words, the Holy Ghost. But it's not just the Holy Ghost. Beside that river of life is a tree. And there's healing in that tree. And there's deliverance in that tree. You want to tell you what kind of revival God wants for you? He wants it to flow right out of this church. Go through the streets of Terre Haute. Go through the state of Indiana. And it flows. Listen to me. It flows into the world. Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel that river starting to flow a little bit. Spring up, oh well. Woo! Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well. It's got to start right here. 
Quit waiting on somebody else. It's got to start right here. I don't want anything to hinder that flow. Let me put him back on the throne and let it flow. Now, let's all stand. Now we're going to practice what I just preached. See, we got, pastor, if the church ever catches this, there'll be no need for great ones. We won't wait for a certain person to come and it to flow from them. All right. The church learns the power of a congregation that has said, we want the throne of righteousness in this church. Because if that throne is in this church, there's revelation in this church. And if this is really the throne of God, there's a river that flows from this throne. And that's what this area needs is that river to flow from a throne of revelation and understanding. That's why this church is extremely crucial and important for this whole area. Because God's intent is for something to start in this church that doesn't leave when the evangelist goes. But you've started a flow. And you've learned out of my belly are supposed to flow rivers of Living water. If there's living water, and there's got to be dead water. I don't want to produce a river of death. I want to produce a river of life. So here's the way I see this whole thing shaking out. You ready for it? It's when our churches pick up on this. And they get together in unity. And they get to the throne. And I'll talk more about this tonight. And they get to worship and magnify the one true God. All of a sudden, it just starts flowing. And then it starts flowing down the pew. And whoever, sir, is sitting on your pew, out of your belly, not mine, out of your belly, shall flow not just a river, but rivers of living water. There's a river of deliverance that flows. There's a river of healing that flows. There's a river of salvation that flows. And it starts right here. And then all of a sudden, it just starts flowing down this pew. I'm telling you, I've, I, this is, I, I've seen this over and over and over and over and over. It starts flowing down the pew. And then next thing you know, people sitting next to you, and it starts flowing down that pew that don't have the Holy Ghost. We ain't drug them up to the front jerking their neck out of place. All of a sudden, it just flows. And they have a thirst for living water. And it gets the hint of water close to them. I want a drink of this. And the next thing you know, we're, it's just flowing in the service. And the next thing you know, they got their hands in the air. And there's talking in tongues, magnifying God. And then this brother, he needs a healing. And guess where it all started? It started down here. Boy, that's a good name. Wear it well, Mark. It starts over here with Mark. Just mark, usher, mark the usher sitting on the front pew. Just mark, that's what the devil tries to tell you. You're just mark the usher. No, you're not. You're a son of God. You're a child of God. His throne is in your heart. 
You put him there when you confess that he's Lord. And then it all starts flowing out of you. And guess what? When it starts flowing down this pew, and then this guy over here needs deliverance. Guess where it all started? It started over here with Mark. When Mark decided, I'm going to the throne, and I want the river of life to flow through me. I want it to flow down my pew. And guess what? If she decides to do it, and she decides to do it, and it starts flowing all the way down. And guess what? Then it flows over here to him. And then it flows over here to him. And it flows to you, good lady. And then it flows over here. And people that need deliverance, they're being delivered just like that. And people that need the Holy Ghost, they're talking in tongues. While the church is just flowing in worship and praise unto God. People that have been bound and struggling with addictions, when that river flows by them, and the waters that's got healing in it, when it touches them, hallelujah, something begins to happen. Let me tell you what I'm asking God for right now. Tell you what I'm asking God for right now. In this service. And I'll expand more on this tonight. It's what I'm asking God for. Now, let me rephrase that. Not just this service. I feel this. We was in revival with Sam Emery. It was in Oklahoma. Place was packed. We had people with folding chairs. God was, was, having, was having a great revival. And Brother Emery's preaching. And I remember him turn like this and he went up the center aisle. And he got about right here. And when he got right here, all of a sudden, right here next to him appeared like a white light. And I watched that light twirl. And when I seen it, the Holy Ghost said, the angel of deliverance now abides in this congregation. I took it so literal, I changed the name from the United Pentecostal Church of Oatmulgee. To deliverance tabernacle. I had visitors that would come to church and say, there's something in this building. I had a guy working for us putting new carpet down. He said, I'm telling you, this place scares me. I said, why? He said, I'm telling you, there's something in this building. He said, I've sensed it. I've even seen it. I said, what did it look like? He said, I don't know. It's kind of like light moving. <laughs> this guy was one of the biggest drug dealers that was in town. He really was. Messed up life. His name was Danny. I said, Danny, you know what that is? That's God trying to show you that you don't have to lift the rest of your life bound. That that angel got sent into this church and put into this building and this congregation to make sure you go free. And I'm asking God to dispatch that angel into this congregation and let him abide here. And today there'll be a witness of the Spirit when people walk out of this room that have been bound. You walk out delivered. I take authority over every addiction. I take authority over every spirit that has oppressed you. I ask the Holy Ghost to release that flow into this building in the name of Jesus. Now, y'all ready? You ready? Ready? He's going to flow and get you. It's going to start right here. You hear me? And then you're going to connect with her. And she's going to connect with her. And she's going to connect with her. And she's going to connect with him. And he's going to connect with him. And it's just going to start flowing right down here. And it's going to flow down this aisle. It's going to start flowing with one of you. I just need one person on the pew that decides right now. It's going to start right here. Spring up, old well. Woo-hoo! 
spring up, oh well. Just, just get the flowing down this pew of mine. And then it's going to jump across the pews. And then it's going to connect all the way across the building. And the next thing you know, all across this building, there'll be people filled with the Holy Ghost. There'll be people delivered. There'll be people that wait. Uh, oh my God, the pain's gone out of my body. The disease has now left. Come on, let a river of life flow through here. And let the tree of life that produces healing, healing and disease. Oh, come on, it's yours now. It's your service now. It's your service. Come on. I want you to start worshiping together. I want you to start flowing together. I want it to flow down that pew.